Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I have an incredible podcast today with two powerhouse women, Grace Puma and Christiana Smith-Shee. Christiana worked with McKinsey & Co. and Nike, and Grace was a COO of Pepsi and has worked in a ton of corporate jobs. They met on a board and became really great friends, and together they have taken over 50 years of experience in working in corporate America and put it into their latest book called Career Forward. Now, whether you're a male or a female, this book is about if you're trying to create a career versus a job. And they give so many helpful, proactive tips on not only how to navigate the landscape, but some of the things that you might be experiencing and taking things that might be perceived as a vulnerability or a weakness and making that your strength. They share how not to negotiate against yourself. And finally, and for me, maybe some of the most interesting, how not to let your career ruin your personal life. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with these two women who, this was a labor of love. They put this together because they said, hey, these were our experiences. We wanna create a roadmap to help other people. And they certainly have done it in their latest book, Career Forward. Enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to The Gabby Ree Show. Grace, Christina, this, I was just saying, welcome to my show, but this is one of my first times. And I think digitally is my first time doing two guests. Well, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> so let's, let's get right into it. The two of you have written a book together, Career Forward. And first of all, I just love the backstory on how the two of you met and then what brought you to wanting to write this book together. We joined a board together and you don't think about joining a corporate board as a way of making friends, right? That's not normally what people recommend you do if you're looking to make friends. But we were immediately sort of kindred spirits. And I think it's partly just because our, our approach to life and, you know, what our career journeys have been like. And, um, you know, it makes a big difference to actually look forward to working with someone. And it wasn't something that, w- that we had expected when we joined this board. So the the uh, the other thing is, you know, we thought about one day we were sitting there and we were talking after a board meeting and we were talking about our, our so I hate to use the word kid, our adult uh, children, they're millennials and they're all in the workforce. And we were sharing stories um, organically about things that we learned in our careers and how we wanted to make sure we passed it through the, to them. And so uh, a lot of this book is really rooted in giving back and being able to share our learnings. But as a practical guide, it's not the typical book of, you know, take your seat at the table. Um, it's really about practical advice and uh, exercises and thoughts about how to really cultivate a good career. So that 
that was really the reason we did it. I couldn't help but think when I, I, I read the book and in reading it and you think, okay, you, you're two females and there's some very specific things, you know, your moms and there's certain parts of the journey that are kind of, they are female oriented, but really the way that the two of you wrote this book, I thought it doesn't matter if you are thinking about being in business and creating it. There's so many incredible reminders and points and quizzes and takeaways in this book, whether you're uh, a female or a male, I think it was, it's just a really thoughtful approach to a work, not only having a career, but work-life balance. And I, I just really appreciated the way the, the nuts and bolts, bolts elements to it that would really benefit anyone. Certainly, we you know, feature the book for women, but you're absolutely right. You'll, you'll see as you go through it, it's whether you're a medical professional or you're in service industry or you're a male or a female or any demographics, you'll find that this is something that's about how you strategically achieve what you want to achieve um, and how you, how you do that in a pragmatic manner. Yeah, and I think we wrote it aiming at women, particularly women kind of early or mid-career. But when we were talking to potential publishers, the editors that responded incredibly strongly to it were also men. And I think that's when we thought, you know, if they can relate to this advice, then it's more universal even than, you know, than we thought when we were, you know, starting to write it. I always say good information is good information. It's good for everyone. And and you really accomplished that in this book. So you know, I couldn't help but think when I was reading it, it is hard for a lot of people to find their thing, to find something they love. But this book is is set up for somebody who who has has maybe got their teeth in something, like they sort of on a path already. Um, I'm just curious before we go into that, if you, because you do have kids and I'm sure you've mentored a lot of young professional people is even how, what are the questions that you invite people to ask themselves when they don't have a, such a clear path to, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lock and load here and, and pursue this career? Do you, because I'm sure you have people come up all the time going, well, I'm not sure and I want to dip my toe. Do you guys give advice to somebody who hasn't even gotten on deck yet all the way to sort of saying, this is what I'm doing? It's actually important to note that Neither Grace nor I knew exactly what we wanted to do in our careers when we got started. So we very much understand and identify with that mindset. And one of the first pieces of advice we have for people when they're trying to set a career direction, but they haven't even necessarily picked a field, is just get a job. I mean, that's basically what we say that to, to recent graduates, right? Whether you're undergrad, your high school, your grad school, get a job work for a while and use that experience to start to figure out what you like and what you don't like. Now, on top of that, we talk about passion and purpose and environment and work. So those four four elements of, you know, what are you passionate about? What are you trying to achieve in life? That's that sense of internal purpose. What kind of environment do you want to work in, which includes the people and the place and the kind of kind of company or employer? And then what's the specifics of the work that you really like to do? What are you good at? We talk about layering those things in, but the foundation for someone who's just getting started is go start working and see based on your own personal experience, what that information is telling you about where you want to go and what you like. 
So when we um, talk about this, we talk about this in Career Forward around setting a cardinal direction, okay? And I think what's important about cardinal direction is, and it's a lot of what Christiana just spoke about, but those elements start to frame where is it that you want to go and what do you want to achieve? It incorporates ambition and incorporates aspirations, but it does it in a way to understand that as you're starting out and you start to go through your career, your experiences shape more clarity on those components. And as they do, it's very important to be strategic about the type of jobs you're taking, the type of experiences you have, what you're learning, um, as well as your external environment in terms of uh, where the opportunities are and what's evolving. Those are the things that help you define your cardinal direction and you work towards it um, strategically. What you're saying is so important because also I think we're surprised. We might think we're on this type of person and then you get into it deeper and you're like, no, actually I've learned so much about myself in this process. And I, I'm, I'm so surprised that this is what I'm excited. And both of you have taken very different uh, paths. Like you, Grace, you, you moved around a little more and took different types of jobs. Um, you, you know, for me, the really interesting part of this is the two of you coming and bringing also different perspectives. Um, and, and so I think it's important. People have to realize you're two different people who did it very differently and came together and wrote this in a way to, to, uh, to just give a, a really strong foundation for people to ask these questions and, and pursue this. So you, you share in this book, uh, just first and foremost, creating that personal GPS. And, and, and almost like values and guardrails professionally. I think we do that as people, but we don't realize, oh, wait, I have to do this actually as a professional. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we talk about it in the book as um, you wouldn't get in your car and just start driving, right? Um, so you think about a GPS for your career in the same way. You want to be clear about where you're going and what you want to achieve, knowing that there'll be turns in the road and that you'll make the adjustments along the way. So you know, the GPS um, premise is really important and it's about setting the direction and it's about really understanding that you're on the right track and or if you're off the track, how do you get back on the track? Well, and I'll tell you, Gabby, you, I think you and a lot of all of us who've built something can relate to this. You're, you can get to the same destination through different routes. And so the actual route that you take might change, just like the GPS will tell you there's traffic ahead and so you need to get off the highway and, you know, take a side road. We definitely talk in Career Forward about how as our life circumstances changed, we adapted and worked to get things in our career to align with what we needed at that moment. We were still heading towards senior leadership roles. We still wanted to, you know, to run things. We still had the same direction, cardinal direction. But we recognized that there were some alternative ways to get there. And at different points in time, we needed to make those kind of choices. And that's important, I think, for people to recognize when they're planning out their career. It doesn't always all go in a straight line to the big, you know, job at the end. You know, it's interesting how, and you you two know this better than anyone. It's so fascinating for me that we we kind of get taught certain ways that what success looks like, right? It usually involves titles and zeros. and um, and I think like Christiana, like you were involved with, hey, out there, full-time grind, become a mom and go, wait a second, I'm in a different place in my life. And you you actually, I would imagine from a corporate point of view, ha were 
you know, sort of a, a unique person and saying, I'm going to do a part time. So I'm going to go to 80% of my workload and I'm going to figure out how to work four days so I know that I can be home for three. And I just think that that's a very important example. And, and this is another thing I'm jumping ahead, but where you really talk about encouraging people to have this 360 degree view of this of who you are as a person, what you want in your life, and then what you want in your work. Um, what I what I'm interested in from both of you, because this is this is kind of the hard stuff. The hard stuff is you can't say, hey, I want to be a CEO and I would like to also be home three days a week. I think sometimes we get stuck thinking I'm supposed to say that because that would be the end result of this path that I'm on. It would show that I'm really quote successful versus having big, important jobs, meaningful jobs, meaningful contributions, meaningful paychecks, and cutting back just a little so that I get to be, you know, here because it feels important to me. How, because for me, what is, I don't want to say it's unfair. I think the disservice we do, especially to women is we don't, we sort of say, oh, it's harder for us or, oh, you know, um, men have it easier. I just don't think we set the table and say, no, you'll be navigating different choices. It's actually one of the things I think that we um, talk about very differently. You know, we don't necessarily, uh, we think about things different than the work-life balance theory. And Christiana, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, It's really for us much more of an intentionality wheel where you think about 360 as your personal and your professional life are integrated, okay? And you want satisfaction in that, but you are making trade-offs and you are thinking and being able to shift and pivot based on what the priorities are at any given time. So it's not a, you know, guilt-ridden trade-off discussion. It's actually an in, in truly encompassed um, both. And Christiane, you want to say a little bit more about that? We, we think work-life balance is a tired concept. People have been talking about it for like 20 years. Nobody's found it. So let's stop thinking about it that way, right? Let's think about this holistic view of what you just said, Gabby, which is you got to accept some of the realities of life, which is that sometimes you're going to work harder than you want to. And sometimes you're not going to be able to work as hard as you want to. That's work. But we also believe that if you are happy at home, you are more productive at work. If you are satisfied and fulfilled in your work, you are happier at home. At least that that was true for us. And we were better mothers and we were better people and we were better managers and leaders because we were turning this wheel and finding out, you know, how to get the alignment that we needed at any point in time. But it's within the realities of what you just said, which is if you're working, you're working. And if you're at home, you're at home and you're going to have to keep spinning the wheel so that you feel like, you know what, all the parts of my life in general are fulfilling to me at any moment in time. Is everything perfect? Nope. That's probably not happening. Maybe once in a while, but over the longer haul, I am happy. I'm fulfilled. My kids are good. And I really like where I am in my career. That that's what we're, we're trying to set as the aspiration. I, I really appreciate this because I think there's a lot of, uh, conflicting dynamics that don't actually help us solve some of these things. And I think it leaves a lot of, again, women, especially frustrated, but again, not to leave out men because there's this belief that, 
Well, if you're going to do it, the only way that it counts is if you do it this specific way, which means you have to be in the C-suite and you have to make X. And I, and what I do appreciate about the group coming up now, and I, I was so glad that you talked about this, is this transition that we're going through in life, I, f- I find very uncomfortable, <laughs> like with technology and, uh, you know, quiet quitting and all these things. There's a discomfort because uh, it is, as you guys put it so beautifully, a reshuffling. Um, but it's people, and the next generation going, wait, I'm not going to totally buy into this. Maybe there's a, a different way to do it. But I'm, I'm just I'm fascinated to know how you how you think it's it's sort of moving together because the other part that's undeniable is especially when you're young when you just come out of school and you haven't created you know a, a, you know these other dynamics in your life that's usually the time that you're working longer and more it's it's you know we used to call it paying your dues I just think it's part of the deal you're getting experience um, you're making yourself available, you're learning a bunch of stuff, and you're kind of working your way through. And I, I feel like this is going to be an interesting is if that part's going to transition into this reshuffle. I don't do what do you what do you two see? You know, look, I, I think in many ways, uh, the environment today allows for a lot of um, flexibility, which I think will help employers and help uh, individuals try to achieve their career. On the other hand, at the end of the day, it's about creating your own give and takes, okay? It's not, things don't happen to you. It's about you owning your career, owning the responsibilities to build equity. We talk a lot about building equity as table stakes and by building equity through consistent high performance, by continuing to, you know, be learning and achieving in areas that companies need, you actually can earn an opportunity to gain more flexibility in your personal life or when those moments happen. So I think for the the, the crop of leaders coming up now, it, it's not all the way to the right or all the way to the left. It's about pragmatically making choices and trade-offs and realizing that, you know, the more you're able to take pleasure in your career and achieve and contribute to your company, you are equally able to make the choices you need to make sure your personal life is integrated in a way that's satisfying overall. Well, and I think we're watching some of this play out with our own kids, Gabby, because, you know, they're, they're in their late twenties, early thirties, kind of spot on the millennial, you know, generational bubble. And the concept that we try to share in the book that Grace just touched on is this notion of build professional equity so that you can then leverage it to get the flexibility and the solutions that you need at work. And, you know, one way or another, we're watching s- successful people in this, you know, these next couple of generations, they, they're figuring that out intuitively. We, we learned it by doing, and we're trying to just short circuit that for other people and share it now, which is to say, you build credibility, you build mentors, you build supporters, you build, um, options in your job when you're really good at what you do and you're very intentional about what you're doing. And that example that you referred to a while ago about me offering uh, or suggesting I go on a part-time program when I was in a classic consulting firm, I was able to do that because I knew that I was a strong performer, right? I get feedback. I, I knew what they thought of me. And 
it was time for me to see if I could trade in on that equity that I had built by being such a strong performer by asking them to meet me partway in a work solution that, that I needed right then. And that's the secret, I think, regardless of the times or what's happening, you know, in work in general, is if you are good at what you do and you focus consciously on building that equity with your workplace, you can actually use that as a currency to invest in getting the flexibility that you need. But, but you have to be strategic and think about it that way. Instead of us all being the same, that really companies work better when there is a diverse group at the top. That means different skill sets because, and I don't, I don't think, and again, I don't like to generalize, but it just seems to be the way it shows up. There's something about men where, you know, they joke about, they'll be like, I can do it. And we're sort of like, even if we could do it, we'll be like, well, I hope I can do it. They just, it's a different, I don't know if it's testosterone or whatever it's, and it's fine, but you just think, wow, that's amazing. That level of confidence but that you you share that you know having that diversity you've seen it a diverse team um, versus a certainly individual or same is better for the company. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I also think we talk about what you're touching on the power of the superdog, um, you know, and it is what you're speaking about. It's around. You know, there's there's multiple ways to approach situations. You can't control everybody's behavior or everybody's perception in the workplace. But what you can do is you can decide how you're going to react to it and also leverage it. So we talked to a lot of successful women in the book as well as ourselves and said, gee, there is actually power to people per- perceiving that they underestimate you. Um, for one thing, when you achieve, it's, there's a wow factor. Most people want to come and say, wow, look what you did. Um, you know, and the fact that they may not see you coming in terms of your performance or your ability. So uh, a lot of what we talk about is, you know, don't get caught up in the noise of the environment and figure out how to channel your direction and your capabilities in a way that it actually becomes an advantage. We talk about this concept of, um, we talk about two concepts, fake it till you make it versus uh, imposter syndrome. And we have strong feelings about both of them. And you were talking about this with, you know, do, do men sometimes, you know, have a bit more swagger ahead of when they, you know, they, they earned it or whatever. We definitely found, and we reviewed a lot of research, that women in general believe they need to demonstrate they can do something before they are allowed to do it, so to speak. So, and, and when women are evaluated, particularly in, in corporate settings, a lot of the time they're expected to show that capability before they get the promotion, whereas men might get the benefit of the doubt, get promoted based on intrinsics or potential. So what do you do with that? Well, we don't buy into the whole imposter syndrome thing because we think it's about building the confidence of knowing that you're good at what you do, that you're here for a reason, listening to feedback, tuning in to what you can do better, having a continuous improvement mindset. If you have that, you're not an imposter. You're going to be able to learn. You're going to be able to grow. You'll be able to do whatever it is you're being asked to do. Fake it till you make it. We talk about that. That's more of a Jedi mind trick is what we call it, which is if you need to look in the mirror every morning, put your hands on your hips and say, I got this, then do that. You're not really faking it, but you are building up your confidence ahead of, you know, delivering on whatever it is you're being asked to do. And that's okay, because that's about what you need to do to get your mind in the right place to, to, to go ahead and take on some risks. But you're not an imposter. You both multiple times have had to deal with being already 
high up in a company, I would imagine. And then being faced with, I mean, the fact that you wrote about, um, and, and I love this, uh, Skid, uh, which told me intuitively, oh, they, they've been through it. Um, and, and I want to get to Skid. But what I was curious is when you're sort of one of the bosses and something's coming your way that you actually really, you don't know what to do. What do you do? Because it isn't fake it till you make it. Is it oh, you? It occurs to you who to go to get help from? Because I think what happens is, is, especially as we move up in things, we're like higher stakes, and I don't know what to do. Like this is a new thing. Um, how how was that for you? Where, how did each of you deal with something like that? I think it happens a lot, especially as you grow in scope and uh, dimension and level to your yeah. point. And yeah, the stakes are high. And when you assume those jobs, people just assume you're capable and out of the gate, you know, day one to go do it. So, you know, what I found to be helpful in my career was, you know, first of all, being confident that I've learned things before I'll learn this too. <laughs> okay. So you don't, you're not, I used to use the term that you're not hatched with all this knowledge. You learn, you grow, you go through experiences. So be confident you're going to figure it out. And then it really gets into learning what you don't know. You know, everything from if you're taking over a new area, you're going to learn about, you're going to study on different um, capabilities. You're going to be looking at different technologies. You're going to be uh, looking for people with high equity and high knowledge in those areas and really be humble to ask for, can you explain this to me? Can you talk about a little bit about this? So you have to, you know, you have to be in a place where you're always still maintaining learning agility and, and you kick into that gear until you gain the competency and then know you're there for a reason and all the other skill sets and capability you have will apply. And usually that takes care of it. I would add to that, it's okay to ask for help sometimes. And it might be, as Grace said, by making sure that you've talked to the people on your team and found out what you already know, what they're already doing, talk to your peers, ask if they've seen that particular situation or problem before, talk to your boss, right? If you're in a, in a position where you can. It's, it's not saying, I don't know how to do it, to say, hey, can you give me some advice on this? Hey, asking the right questions of the right people is a skill. And it demonstrates that your command of the situation is such that you can recognize where you need to get additional input or support. So um, you don't go into these things thinking, I'm the lone warrior, um, or I always call it the second lieutenant. I'm the second lieutenant going in front of everybody else. I'm the one that's going to get like, you know, ambushed first and then the rest will be fine. We don't want you to do that, right? We want someone when they're at work to recognize that not nobody knows everything, period, nobody. So recognizing where to go and who to ask when you need help, when you need input, when you need to leverage someone else's experience, that is a skill in and of itself. And we recommend you build it early in your career because you're going to need it. Do you think part of that is intuitive? Because uh, I, I have experienced a lot of times when you're more, when you sit, like something's happening, you feel a little underwater, upside down. If you sit and get quiet for a second, that the, it gets dropped in, like just a person's name. And it's not even the most obvious person. Sometimes it's usually like, why am I thinking of that person? 
And I guess I just wanted to bring that up because it, I just, I really want to encourage people because so much of this fear of not knowing what to do keeps people from really starting. And it's hearing from people like you, Hey, it's like, Hey, this is going to happen over and over again. It's true. <laughs> you know? And it can be earlier in your career and it can be when you're senior, right? Yeah. And, and earlier in your career, sometimes funnily enough, you know, it can seem more risky to say you don't know how to do something then later in your career, because you think I just got here. If I go tell them, I don't know how to do this. They're going to wonder if I was a hiring mistake. And I can remember that being in consulting, working for a manager who was super busy, kept his office door closed. So there was like this big barrier to trying to get five minutes with this guy to ask him if you were doing the right thing, if you were on the right track, whatever. And I remember as an associate standing outside his door and I could see him through the glass and he's on the phone and he's doing stuff on his computer and taking a deep breath and just thinking to myself, if I don't go in and ask him if I'm on the right path with this analysis I'm doing, I'll end up spending hours on the wrong path potentially. So I'm going to go explain to him that unless he takes five minutes and tells me if what I'm doing is, is right, he's taking the risk that what I'm doing is wrong. And that's what I did. So I knocked on the guy's door. He gave me the usual brusque, like, what is it? And I basically said to him, hey, here's the deal. I need to see if what I'm doing is headed in the right direction for what you want. And if it is, I'll have it done in a couple hours. If it isn't, you're going to come back in a couple hours and be very unhappy. And he was like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. That's a win-win, right? But I still remember agonizing over that outside his door. So we just want to encourage people to say, you know what? Uh, that's going to happen so many times. Find your way of, of working in and working through that situation. And I actually think you could apply that for real life. I think you can do that in relationships. I even think you could do that as a parent. Like, I think that that is a very important thing for all of us to be able to say, can we just talk about this for a second? Because I'm sensing this or I'm not sure. And I, I really think that having the strength, but humility to do that uh, will save us maybe potentially a ton of heartache later, even though it's yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, worse, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about, um, can you share with me about uh, growth stock? We talk a lot about being a growth stock or thinking of yourself as a growth stock. And what does that mean? If you think about growth stocks, I mean, think about some of the ones like Apple or others. They tend to be stocks, if you correlate yourself to that, that have high growth, they're innovative, they're agile. Um, people invest in them. Uh, so, and they produce, right? They end up giving a good return to your shareholders. When we equate it to ourselves as leaders, we ask yourself to think about it. Uh, somebody who thinks and has the mindset of a growth stock is going to continue to be in that, you know, you're never, you never satisfied that you've achieved a certain level or a certain learning. You're investing in yourself, you're learning, you're growing your capabilities, you're paying attention to the landscape of, what is most valuable and needed by my company or my industry? And how do I build those capabilities? So it's a, it's a constant growth mentality tied to performance. And growth stocks and people who act like growth stocks are the ones that get promoted, they get advanced, they get paid well, um, they get flexibility because, you know, there's a high demand for those. So it's really important because I think in today's generation, it's not just the job you're doing. It's how do I bring the greatest value for my company and how do I grow myself as a growth stock that I'm marketable and in demand ex externally and internally in my company? 
I want to revisit something because we talked about it quickly, but I think this is really important. You have an entire section uh, in one of the chapters about the advantage of being an underdog. And I think sometimes people will go into an environment, maybe um, you're in a boys club, you're female, you're young. Sometimes, you know, you, it's an interesting thing when someone's really young or they're baby faced, it's like, oh, okay. What, you know, they, it's almost like a weird prejudice against them. Like they don't know anything or it's things like that. So I think people experience this in a number of ways, but you remind us that it, it really can be in a different way an advantage. So the example we use is when you're rooting for a sports team or for an athlete. And obviously, Gabby, you've experienced this way more personally than we have. How much do people love it when someone or some team comes from behind and totally pulls out the game and wins? We love it. And we want people to recognize that just because you're being underestimated, maybe unfairly based on your past experience, your looks, your gender, your preferences, whatever it is, doesn't mean that you can't gain some benefits when you over-deliver and beat expectations. But you have to keep a positive mindset when you're in that situation because it can get to you, right? When you know that your peers or your colleagues don't expect much from you or don't think you're the one that's going to succeed, then it can be disheartening. And you have to kind of go back, internalize and draw deep on that sense that you have of yourself of being a growth stock, of being a strong performer, of being confident in yourself. And and then we would just say, be intentional and strategic about how you deliver performance and impact at work, because that is what's going to catch everybody's attention. That is what's going to be the come behind story for you. And, you know, one of the examples we have in Career Forward from my experience was after I'd been working for a couple of years in consulting, and had only done quote unquote soft process oriented studies, you know, like let's improve this process, let's improve that process. Those tend to involve much more interviewing and, you know, process design and those kind of things. But I was with a firm that valued hard edged quantitative problem solving, analytics, big models, machine data, that kind of stuff. And so what I heard at my first performance review was, you know, you're doing great and everything, Christiana, but we really don't know what, what your quantitative skills are. We don't know if you can solve hard analytic problems. And my first reaction was, that's so unfair. You guys haven't asked me to do that. How do you, uh, and I, I buttoned all that up and I went off and thought about it. And I, you know, just tactically said, look, I need to show the partners that I can actually do that kind of work. So I went back and I said, hey, the next study that you put me on, the next project that you put me on, put me on something with a hard model. And they put me on something where I had to do a regression analysis. It was like way up there in terms of like working with a guy that had a, you know, supercomputer at, at, a, at a university. And I, and I nailed it. I worked really hard. I did a lot of studying to understand what that took. And we delivered a great answer. I never heard from the partners again, that there was any doubt or any concern about my problem solving. And basically from then on, they thought, you know, I was like, you know, some kind of savant, right? But it was a strategic choice to say, hey, you don't think I can do it. Give me it. And I'm going to show you that I can. 
we've seen in our careers where you've gotten, I can speak for myself, really good performance. And all of a sudden they're like, well, let's see if she can lap. Let's see if she can do it again. And we talk about that concept of women sometimes having to show, you know, over and over where at sometimes men get rounded up, you know, and we did great, a great first year on the job. And what you have to do and when we encourage people to do is, you know, stay focused on delivering and achieving and, and, and show them what you got. Because first of all, there's a lot of joy and satisfaction when you achieve, especially when you achieve and you know, some people are like, oh, oh, wow, you know, she actually could do that. And the same thing for men, you know, don't, you know, show, put your energies into being able to deliver that and to be able to be proud of that delivery. Um, I think that there's joy in that. And I think people will come to, come to see that. Totally what I felt in this book over and over was it's sort of like, oh, recognize the obstacle or something that isn't fair, but approach it with a spirit of, oh, okay, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to be better. I'm going to observe this. What I, what I really felt in this book was um, a sort of um, almost your ability to separate, which I really appreciate going, yeah, this is not right. There was a scenario where there was a guy who was, I guess, you know, all sizzly and, tink, you know, kind of flashy and maybe wasn't doing the work. And one of you was working with him. And, and I think the line was like, oh, and then he flew too close to the sun. And, you know, but here I am. But the other thing that was really important is he maybe had one trait within there that's like, oh, that could be, that could, that could be useful. So I just, it, it's very solution oriented. That's the other thing both of you really brought to this, to this communication was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you want to do about it? Because when you look at, I think people to get where they want to get, instead of crying, Hey, it's unfair, get in the system and change the system. And that it really, that's what it resonates with me because I think we know that there's things that are not fair everywhere, but the only way to, to make improve them is to be involved with making those improvements. That's right. Yeah. I think we want the people that read career forward to feel like they're on the front foot. You know, that's why we yeah. use the driving and the road analogies that you're at the steering wheel. Your foot's the one that's going on the gas or the brake, right? There's nobody else that is going to jump in that driver's seat unless you let them. So that's why we, we apply this kind of problem solving approach that you noted, Gabby, to so many of the common career issues, because we really think if you take a breath, if you look inside, if you get advice, if you talk to you know people for feedback, you will find a way that allows you to stay in control of your career, but make changes if you need to. And we just keep coming back to, if you don't stay in control of your career, nobody else will do it. And you're going to end up just someplace you didn't really want to be. If you take a career forward mindset and you set your cardinal direction and you do all the good work that we talked about, you're not, and this is very counterintuitive, um, you're not necessarily dependent or attached to the current job you're in or the company you're in. And that's separate from being you know, loyal. People talk about, you know, loyalty. Absolutely. You can be appreciative. Um, you're 300% committed. But at the end of the day, if you're building your professional equity and you're acting like a growth stock, you're going to know that you have options and you're going to objectively look at situations and say, you know what? I can, 
I can achieve in this environment. I, I have the capability or I'll build the capability. But it gives you much better objectivity um, than when you feel beholden to only one set of circumstances. I always say, I always talk to my husband about this. I, I learned from, I always joke, sometimes reverse parenting, you can learn what to do and what not to do. And I learned very early. I thought, oh, all I have to do is really work 20% harder up front to actually make it 80% easier on the back end. And sometimes it's like encouraging people to make those strategies because they will it they it makes it so much easier when you're willing to be like I'll put the time in I'll think about it I'll see where my I'll try to learn where my blind spots are I think that that kind of proactive control what you can control attitude uh, people don't realize to your point Grace not only that the power it gives you but it does give you more objectivity yeah I think you talked about it Gabby it's also um, that reflection that recognizing that I have to actually think about this. And I, that, that extra 20% up front, I've got to put that time and effort into it. I got to go inside myself. I got to understand what's going on, what my options are, and then pick a path and commit to it. And, you know, taking time to have that reflection when you're working all the time and you've got kids at home and you're busy, it's, it's an effort, right? And I think it's like anything else. If you're actually Putting together a strategy, you've got to put thought into it. And we just want people to think about their career as an intentional strategy. And you also say, it's so interesting, this book is all about your career, but you you make it clear, don't let your career overtake your personal life. And I also felt that that's very important because it's great. You're successful and you're miserable or your relationships are frayed. And that's, that doesn't, that doesn't work either. This podcast is brought to you by Neurohacker. They have so many incredible products, but one that I'm going to share with you that I love is the Qualia Senolytic. So have you heard about Senolytics yet? Well, it's a class of ingredients that were discovered, I guess, less than 10 years ago. And they're being hailed as one of the you know greatest promoting healthy aging and enhancing your physical prime ingredients that we have. Because what happens is Senescent cells cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and pains, slow workout recoveries, boy, I've been there, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle age feeling. And as we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. And what I love about the Qualia Senolytic product is, first of all, you take it just two days a month. I know a lot of us are busy and it sounds silly, but it's hard to do. And they have it so that it's set up that you take a certain amount of pills, for two days in a row, and then you don't take it again until the following month. Super easy. And how does it work? It's kind of like pruning. So the qualia senolytic removes those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them, the other cells, to thrive in the body. It's formulated in non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And it has a 100-day money-back guarantee. If you've been curious and you want to check it out, and you can resist a little bit of aging at the cellular level and try Qualia Senolytics. All you have to do is go to neurohacker.com slash Gabby Reese for up to $100 off or use the code Gabby Reese, one word, at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash Gabby Reese for an extra 15% off your purchase. 
neurohacker.com slash Gabby Reese, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash Gabby Reese for an extra 15% off your purchase. This podcast is brought to you by Blissey. I learned about Blissey from one of my daughters. She was talking to me about this very special pillowcase. And I thought, yeah, yeah, a pillowcase is a pillowcase. And I let her get it. And what I learned about Blissey was that because it's silk, for her and her reason, she wanted it for her hair and skin. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true because it keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin. And I thought, all right, well, it's the same, you know, silk, satin, whatever. Well, the truth is it's satin is made from synthetic fibers like polyester, while silk is really a luxurious all natural fiber. It's breathable, moisture wicking, and gentle. It's also more durable and long lasting. So I, I thought, okay, you know, these kids have more time to investigate on this stuff. And she is very concerned about her skin and hair. And I ended up getting myself a white one and I really noticed the difference. And for me, I don't put my face so much on my pillowcase, but I definitely noticed it with my hair. And the other thing is it's realistic. It's washable and hypoallergenic. So the pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic. So if you're sensitive, you know, you don't have to worry about that and you can sleep more comfortably without itching or, you know, irritating your skin. And unlike other silk pillowcases, these are of the highest quality silk and are important for me, machine washable and durable. Because I like to have nice things, but if they're too precious or I can't just throw them in the laundry, it's a drag. So I love this. And if you're interested in Blissey, no matter who you are and what kind of prints you're into, colors, they have something for everybody. They make wonderful gifts and their options are literally for everyone. Men love them too. So they have over 1 million raving fans and you could be the next. They have a great offer for you. You can try now risk-free for 60 nights so you can find out for yourself at blissy.com slash Gabby and get an additional 30% off. I have to tell you the truth. I don't even tell my kids about this because I love this product and I don't want them to know about this incredible discount because they'll say, you've got to get it. So that's blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y.com slash Gabby. And remember to use the code Gabby to get an additional 30% off your skin and hair. They're really going to thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Timeline Nutrition. I have been taking Timeline for about 18 months. A friend of mine gave me their MitoPure product, and I got the gel capsules. And this is the first product to offer a precise dose of something called urolithin A, and it's to upgrade mitochondria function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength and endurance. It actually took these guys 10 years of research to bring this potent product to market. And I'm really glad because now I can share it with you. And not only do they have something like I have, like they have a little soft gels for travel, they've created three ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A in their product might appear. So they've got the gel caps, they've got a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure and a berry powder. I just throw it in water that easily mixes. You can put it in a smoothie or just about any drink. Like I said, sometimes I just throw it in water and I'm on the go. You can decide for yourself which one of these makes sense because they have a great offer for you. Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. All you have to do is go to timelinenutrition.com slash Gabby. And if we use the code Gabby, you'll get 10% off your order. 
That's TimelineNutrition.com slash Gabby, T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Gabby. And if it's me, try all three because they have a starter pack and you can try all the formats and you can figure out, hey, this is easier for me to take the gel or I throw the vanilla protein powder in my gym bag, or maybe you use all three in different ways. That's TimelineNutrition.com slash Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by Vionic. I got my first pair of Vionic shoes about five months ago. I got the Georgie Mule, then I've gotten a loafer. I have the Orinda Flat. What I love about the flat is that, you know how sometimes it doesn't feel like you get enough support? Well, their flats really do. They have a new one called the Willis Slip-On Flat, and that is in their line, the Vionic Vitals Collection. And these are beautiful essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for the season. They have things like the Uptown Loafer with 10 shades of premium suede and leather. So if you want to dress it up or dress it down, no matter what you want to do, they've got the Chardonnay Heeled Sandal. So if you want the heel, but it's comfortable and adjustable strap, so easy. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. The Willa, they have another slip-on flat. And the thing about Vionic, first of all, it's for men and women. So it's not just for ladies. They have men's wear. And they began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. That's where they come from. And today, they continue to use that science. So no matter how long you wear your shoes, they feel incredible. But now they're using best-in-class materials, meticulously crafted collection with really daily wear styles designed for perfection wherever you want it, for comfort, for elegance. It's just really versatile. Oh, and another thing, I have a size 12 foot, which is hard to fit. A few styles in a 12, every style in an 11. So that's the other part I'm really excited about. So all you have to do is go to www.vionicshoes.com. So that's vionicshoes.com. And if you use the code Gabby at checkout for 15% off your entire order when you log into your account and it is a one-time use only. And also they offer a 30-day guarantee, wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days at vionicshoes.com. This podcast is brought to you by Quince. I know all of us want luxury things and we love high quality, affordable pieces. And Quince really has this in spades because I think for me, I'm interested in getting nicer pieces, just a few, not a ton, get those essentials and you can transition them easily from one occasion to the next and not get crazy with your spending. So for example, I ordered a pair of black linen pants. I've even gotten, they have hundred percent Mongolian cashmere sweaters for like $50. So, you know, I think Sometimes you do want to change it up, but you don't want to spend a ton of money all the time. And they've got beautiful items, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops. This goes, you know, like near and dear to my practical side and even timeless 14 karat jewelry. So the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And you go, okay, well, how are they doing that? It's really simple. They're partnering directly with top factories. And so they cut out the cost of the middleman and they pass that saving on to us. And Quince, it really is on top of not only styles and materials, but also who is making their products. Their factories that they work with, they know are safe, ethical, and responsible, practice responsible manufacturing, and only use premium fabrics and finishes. I really love that. So if you want to explore all the incredible products on Quince and indulge in affordable luxury, all you have to do is go to Quince 
dot com slash Gabby for free shipping on your order and a 365 day return. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gabby to get free shipping and a 365 day return at quince.com slash Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and, you know, live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have it's really quick. They've got 10 minute lessons and, but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know, like talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you you know, speak a new language. In fact, a study showed, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer for a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off, at babbel.com slash Gabby. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. I have a question. When you both were under, there's the moments where it's too much, too much coming in you're spread too thin. People feel this way all the time. Did you have any practice or go-to that helped you sort of get your nose just above water to then go, okay, from here, I'm going to work. Um, whether it's call a certain friend, go take a walk. Um, I don't know. Was there any little practices that you did to let the, to open the valve a little? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think that it being, being human, you're going to have those experiences. Okay. Uh, it's just the way life is. Um, there's a number of things. I mean, for one thing, and we talk about it, you know, as part of the 360 plan is, you know, know when you need to get support. You know, one of the things that was helpful is, you know, when my kids were little, I didn't bake all the cookies for school and bake any of them actually, <laughs> so, but pick and choose what support you need at home that might allow you capacity. So I always thought about it like I had a plate of capacity and I knew when my plate was getting full and how do you take certain things off and how do you feel perfectly fine with that? 
And yet there are other things that are just really super important. I, I, they feed your soul, okay? And those are the ones where you're there at certain moments for your family or for your kids or for your husband or for whomever. And you need to make sure that those are moments that are not compromised. So it, it has a lot with knowing yourself, knowing when you're in balance, knowing when you're out of balance, and understanding how to, um, how to use your capacity to the, greatest, um, to the greatest good. And that's an ongoing um, tool. It's not like it just happens and you suddenly wake up. You got to, you got to gauge yourself. Yeah. I, I have several Gabby strategies that I use sometimes to just buy a little time or just, you know, get a, hit the pause button for a bit or, you know, whatever it is. And it all kind of comes back to something we say in, in career forward, which is recognize that self-care isn't selfish. And if you don't take care of yourself, Obviously, you're not going to be able to do anything well in your life, no matter you know whether it's work or it's at home, right? But we feel bad about it. I think, especially as women, sometimes we just feel like we're supposed to be taking care of other things first before we take care of ourselves. And so, some of the like, let's call it snack-sized things that I would do. My, one of my classics is um, I would go out for an hour, typically at lunchtime, and just go shopping. Didn't necessarily buy anything, but I was in retail. You know, most of my career, I'm in retail. I love malls. I love stores. I am energized by product, by being around, you know, beautiful things. And a lot of the times, you know, I was working in corporate settings and we were near malls and I would just disappear for lunch for an hour. I don't have to tell anybody it's lunchtime. And I would just go walk through the malls. Or when I was at Nike, I'd walk through our own store because that's always good anyway, just to walk through and see how the product is doing and talk to some customers, et cetera. But um, that was one of my things was like, just make sure I took a break during the day. Plus I was walking around, always good. And then third, I was around product. And that's something that no matter what would always give me an energy return that I could then take back to the office. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it's... Um... It's understanding what the environment's doing for you too. We're in these office buildings, you know, constantly meeting the meeting the meeting. It's it's really unhealthy um, when you get out of it. <laughs> but what you start to realize, like I love to go outside in nature. I would walk the campus, even if it was after work. I would walk the campus and I would walk for an hour and it just resets me. And it's something that I still do um, where I just have to be outside for a period of my day. And those are things that don't take a lot of time, but they're actually is again, knowing yourself, they recharge you. Um, and, and you talked about relationships. I would just add one more point of, I know when my kids were young and, you know, and I was raising them, a lot of it is about finding, and we talk about this, your connection points. It doesn't have to be anything big and it doesn't have to be every day, but whether it's your spouse or it's your kids, um, you know, the one I, I talk about in the book is I used to uh, periodically wake my son up early when he was in grade school and I would take him out for pancakes in the middle of the week, which was something we didn't do. Okay. And I would take him out. We would have pancakes. He would realize it was really unique and special. And then I would drop him off at school. So whatever those connection rituals are, that kind of make sure that you're telling the people in your life they're important to you. And that, you know, those things, those moments um, are also very helpful when you're in those crunch modes. Yeah. Do you use the commute to you know, did you ever put guardrails around? Like, I know it's hard because things bleed over and you get work calls and, uh, but 
did you use commuting as a way to try to wrap up and switch out before you got home? Yeah, actually, it's funny. I always talked on the, I had an hour commute with different parts of my job. And I always talked to my friends, my parents. And what I'm laughing about now is that my daughter calls me when she's coming home now. It's kind of funny. (laughs) It's a generational thing, but those are great moments to really, you know, talk and connect with people. Yeah, for me, it was flights, Gabby, as a um, kind of a downtime that I blocked out because, you know, I worked both in consulting and at Nike in high travel jobs, you know, where almost every week we were somewhere. And nowadays, because you have Wi-Fi on the plane, you can have people like trying to chat with you and, you know, get on Slack and do all that stuff. And I'd be like, no, because this bubble on the plane is when I'm going to either focus on getting some work done if it needs some thought, or I'm just going to read my book. Or I'm just going to watch my, my K-dramas and, you know, I'm just going to recharge. So wh- when I'm on the flight, even if I'm on Wi-Fi, I'm off the messaging. I'm off all that stuff because this is my time. And, and this I, don't is- care, I don't care if technology lets you butt in. I'm not picking up the call, you know? It's a good example of how you can use certain times differently based on what you need. So for example, when I did my flights, I loved to work. I would get all my emails done. I would do my presentations. I would bang through the stuff. I'd prepare for the next day. A, because it burned time on the airline. But B, most importantly, when I landed, I didn't have it hanging over my head. I could go home and I can be present with my kids or my husband. And I felt that relax. You know, I was relaxed because I always had to get my work done first. And so again, using your moments for where it makes sense. So it frees up capacity when you need it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, do either one of you have secrets for sleeping in hotel rooms? Because that's another, you know, time changes, you know, food on the go, hotels. Did you learn any kind of (laughs) helpful secrets on how to actually get rest in a hotel? I'll share some of my, I'm curious to hear Grace's too. We've never, nobody's ever asked us that question, Gabby. That's a good question. So, <laughs> you know, I care about your health, ladies. I yes, care about no, your health. I, listen, I appreciate that. One, one, one big thing for me was bringing um, clothespins so I could close the curtains because I, you know, there's so, it's my pet peeve in hotels is the curtains don't line up and you get that three inch, like bright glaring sliver of light coming in your room. And I remember reading somewhere that like you sleep best in a totally dark room. So I started making sure that I had either like safety pins or clothes pins or binder clips that I could like hook those curtains together. And then the other thing for me was I always had to keep the little sleeve that your hotel key comes in because I could never remember my room number. Like when you're in hotel after hotel after hotel, like literally I I'd be coming back into my room. And if I didn't have that little sleeve that the key goes in, I wouldn't remember today I'm in, you know, Munich and the room number I'm in is 323. Like I wouldn't even, I'd be at the front desk asking, you know, where, where should I go? So those were my two like grounding things that, that I would do, but I want to hear grace. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to sleep in hotel rooms. I still don't sleep in hotel rooms well, but what I have done that has made it functional is, um, (laughs) I, I use an eye patch, blocking light. I use earphone. I use earplugs because hallway noise wakes me up. Um, and there's always hallways noise or people that are coming in at wee hours in the morning. And then I honestly listen to a meditation tape before I go to bed. What I don't do 
is I don't, I don't work in bed. Um, because when I do, I, my mind doesn't shut off. So it's really those three things. And I still do it now at home too. I'd love strategies for sleeping on a plane. Cause that's where I come up short every time. I'm the one that's awake getting, you know, the flight attendant to bring me like endless cups of water, you know, over the Atlantic. Yeah. I love to see people when they, before the plane takes off, they sleep. And then I'm, I'm always in awe of that. In, in your positions, are you seeing any trends for women is not, not necessarily just in um, executive roles, but just have you seen something in the last 10 or 15 years that is different uh, for women entering the not only the workplace, but maybe just the way that they they're acting? If you're talking about entering the workforce, I think it, a lot of things are very different. I mean, our like we said, we have um, children there in their 30s, and it's very interesting to watch them. They don't fret over the, they have a lot of the characteristics of what we're trying to talk about in this book. Um, they, I, I admire it. Um, clearly, I didn't role model it, but I admire it. So, you know, they, they, they are dedicated to their jobs, but they're not fretting about it. You know, even if their teams are being laid off or something, you hear them talk about, well, they're land and there's other jobs out there. It's, it's a very different mentality than I think what we were, um, felt much more vulnerable earlier in our careers. I also think they're, they have a different lifestyle. They are doing a lot of the things we're suggesting. They're taking care of their personal lives. They're taking care of their health. Um, they're taking care of their jobs. Um, and they seem to do it with, um, um, with a, uh, without feeling any guilt, um, which I think is important. I would agree with that. And I would also say, Gabby, that there are still some things that are the same. So, um, you know, what's different, we're seeing more balanced entering employee groups, right? So whereas it used to be, you might be the only woman in something kind of coming in out of school into a training program or a class or whatever, you're much more likely to find that it's 30, 40, 50% gender balance. But there are still groups of people who are going to be underrepresented, right? Whether it's people of color, whether it's their orientation, whatever it is. So there, there are still, and there are still plenty of industries and sectors where, where women are underrepresented. So it's why when we looked at writing the advice toward the end of the book on meet the moment, why we wanted to say, you need to think about how you're approaching your career at two levels. One is what's different. And the other is what's the same. Because every generation is going to have a big crisis. Ours was September 11th. Way back in the day, it was, you know, Pearl Harbor, right? Or it was the assassination of Kennedy. People can think of these moments. Now it's going to be the, the world events that are happening just in this last 12 months, right? There's always going to be that. And yet there's also always going to be, you know, the truisms of human nature of being, um, trying to do something first or trying to do something different. And it's finding that blend of, you know, keep doing the things that will always work, but recognize what you can do now that's different. Take advantage of technology, take advantage of new skills, take advantage of work from home as a concept much more accepted. Those things, I would argue, are more of the moment. And it's important to recognize those at the same time that you're still looking at, hey, but some of these things are going to be true about work forever. I do also recognize a bit of a trend where um, you know, working hard is not a dirty word. Okay. It, 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 you know, there was a lot of 
times where you're working really, really hard and where there's a lot of demands on your time. And those are moments usually when you're going through or your company's going through a lot of changes. I, I think that the generation coming in um, will continue to learn how to balance those peak periods with the normalcy of their day-to-day life as it is today. And so I think that's a little bit of a difference. Um, I, and maybe it's just coming off of the um, pandemic, but, you know, they have to expect that there will be peak times, very, very demanding peak times. Grace, that's a really polite way of saying that we're still going to have to work really hard and there's no way around it. And it's not bad. Working hard is not bad. It, I know it's like, a, it's like, it's so funny because people look at it like, what are you talking about? Working hard is not bad. It's actually can be very important at the right times, not to an excess. And it also can be very satisfying, especially if you're working through to an outcome with a team or something. But you, and you, and, and another part of this book talks about, you know, ambition and how in some ways, and, and it's true. Listen, I, I have three daughters. And there are times that I, I, you know, I joke that sometimes I'm the farmer, sometimes I'm the flower, you know, I'm here to, to do, to accommodate my family. I'm here to serve them. I mean, that's what's happening. But sometimes when it's like, oh, we're switching gears now and I'm going to work brain or coach brain or whatever. And I'll do that in front of my husband. Who's I've been with him for 28 years. He knows me. He, he's like, go kill it, do whatever you want, you know? But he'll be like, "Ooh, you're so bossy," you know. And I'm like, "No, it's like if we don't put some framework around this and go like this, how is it going to happen? It's not bossy." And even that slight little thing—a father of three daughters—he knows me. I thought, "Oh, that's so fascinating." And and we, you really beautifully address how at times, and it's not just men reacting to women; it is also women reacting to women the same way, which is it can be the same trait. And it's like, oh, um, you know, he has so much perseverance and you're like, oh, she's stubborn or, you know, whatever the words are. So you guys really also address like, it's not being ambitious is a great, it's a wonderful thing. We call it the A word because it's like, we avoid it as if it was some kind of swear. And, and we were surprised that some of the successful women we interviewed for the book acknowledged that they were uncomfortable describing themselves as ambitious, particularly earlier in their career. And we just want women, everyone, but women especially, to own their ambition. It's okay to say that you want to get somewhere and that you want to get somewhere professionally and that you want to get paid for it. You know, it because it's all part of setting that cardinal direction that we talked about way back at the beginning, which is, you know, where are you trying to take this career anyway? And if you have high aspirations, it's okay. And you, we will absolutely say you got to read the room, right? There's a time and a place to talk about your aspirations, to describe your ambitions, et cetera. And we're never going to say that it's not sometimes going to be received, at least with some question marks around it, by others around you. But it's a lot better than... Well, it's a lot better than the cognitive dissonance that you get of being ambitious, but not wanting to acknowledge it. I I think that's right. And I also think it's, you know, ambition is usually rooted uh, in wanting to aspire, wanting to contribute, wanting to achieve. 
and to whatever level is you want to do, you want to achieve. So those are all good things in my book. Um, and I think women being vocal about that, I actually think the companies look at you differently if you're somebody that they know is going to take care of their career and they know have goals and, and achievements and aspirations because they know you're in the game and they know that you know, you're, you're going to be a player on the field. And so there's no downside to it if done in a way that all the other stuff that we talked about is behind it, you know, capability building, learning, you know, et cetera. But boy, I, I hope this next generation aspires because like we said, enjoy the ride is, you know, it, it, it's a great life. And, and I find, I don't, I don't know if you experience this, you know, it's, and it's, it wouldn't be any different than, than a, a man. I do go to a different part of my personality when I'm asked to be in a leadership role where um, it, it's far less emotion. I'm there to deliver information and create a good environment for everyone to be their best. And, and that's another thing I've learned about leadership. People think it's like, you, you're there to bully everyone. A, a true leader, and I learned this from actually a gentleman named Rich Devinney, is you're totally accountable. You know how to make a decision. You set an environment for other people to be their very best. And actually, you know, it's not like you're walking around going, I'm the leader. The people who work with you say, oh, that's our leader. And, and so I just want to, you know, encourage people because that doesn't mean you have to sort of have this death grip on people. You're just there to to do a certain job and, and, and handle that you. And I want to, I just have a few more questions. One thing that you, you both put in this book that was so really eye-opening for me, because a lot of times when I'm in a negotiation, sometimes I want to get a litmus of where they're at. And so I'm like, okay, don't, you know, you always hear don't negotiate against yourself. So don't put out a number first. And, um, you all talk about, yeah, no, put a number out first. And I, I really uh, loved this. So can you share the, the strategy behind this? I'll, I'll, I'll answer a little bit, but then I'm going to defer to Grace because she is like literally one of the best negotiators <laughs> I have ever met. Um, we, one of the things we realized, particularly as it goes to salary negotiations, but you could apply it to promotions and, and other things like that, any kind of advancement, is if you start with your ceiling, meaning the highest that you think is relevant or range for, for what you're discussing, you're ending up in a better place than if you start with your floor, right? Because we have a lot of people that are like, I'm just, I'm going to hedge. That's the negotiating with yourself is I'm going to hedge it. I'm going to give them a number I think that they'll go with. You're only going to go down from there. So our advice when you're in salary negotiations is do your homework, research what the market is paying for the kind of responsibilities that you'll have. And for the skills that you bring, the experience and the road, the road, you know, miles that you've already got, that stuff is so much more available nowadays online than it ever was that you have, you have many places you can go to get the data on what that role should pay. And once you've got that range, start with your ceiling and think about some of the non-financial, non-monetary things you want as well, because time off matters, benefits matter, retirement funding matters, equity matters. Make sure you understand all the components of compensation so that you don't find out that you negotiated a number really carefully. And then, yeah, I always say it's like when you buy a car and then you find out later on that they want to charge you for the floor mats. And you're like, why didn't I throw the floor mats in when I was negotiating for the car? 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think those are a, a lot of the points that we talk about, which is really important practically for people to know. I also think it's about, you know, take a step back and think about the big picture. You know, this is really important. There's a lot of research out there that says that if you fall behind in your early years on salary, one report said it's over half a million dollars of money that you leave on the table because you can't catch up. And people think you can catch up, like you get the big job by the time you're 20 years into it. And so strategically, the importance of negotiating a fair compensation and staying competitively paid throughout your journey is incredibly important. And so, yeah, the, the tactics of understanding, doing your research, not being emotional about it. We also talk about you know, be savvy and thoughtful of when you do go in and have a discussion on salary. It's not the time to go ask for a raise when your company is going through a very difficult financial time. You know, be thoughtful about when you go in and ask, but do ask and do it in a way that's not, it's about the facts. One of the things I did in my career, which um, I think is something that if you're a high performer, you're likely to be given more and more responsibility. If you have high capacity, they're going to ask you to do more and more, more than your peers. <laughs> it's like they want to use you up and your ability to go do that. So if you are doing that, in a lot of ways, that's very satisfying because you're learning more and you're growing more and your, your equity is building, right? But from a compensation perspective, you know, there have been times in my career where I took stock of that factually and said, hey, you know, my job was X. It's now Y. My scope is Z. And, you know, if there's been a significant change. I'd like you to go review competitively. And 100% of the time, because it was fact-based, you know, but I had to put it forward to say, please reevaluate. There was, a, there was a significant adjustment. So it's not every time you go do something extra, but it's when there's significant shift in scope and you've performed in that scope so that your equity's high, you want to make sure you're tracking with what's competitive. What, is it hard to transition from, you know, boss lady at work, getting things done, boom, 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 and then you go home? Because, you know, I almost have to try to switch gears and now you're dealing with a kid or a partner. Did, was that hard or could you guys slide over pretty easily? I think there's a lot of the skills and the traits you use in being a boss that you can use at home. But I think there's things you got to moderate too. probably tone of voice can definitely be one. How much you, you ask versus tell. Um, but even at work, you know, listening more is not a bad thing. Um, I, I, for me, at least it was mostly about the tone of voice because I think you mentioned this, Gabby, like, you know, your, your, your spouse saying, wait a second, you're, you're sounding kind of bossy. Um, I don't really like or appreciate the concept because that felt feels a little gendered to me. But the idea that you're like a little more in command and control mode than, you know, your family thinks you ought to be. That's that's probably for me the, the main dial I got to turn when I go home. Yeah, I, I think it's um, look, I think the, the reality is we are who we are as people. OK, this whole thing of, you know, all of a sudden you walk in the door and you're a very different person. I mean, core to who we are, probably why we're very good at our jobs, but we also can bring those attributes to the environment. But the environment at home is different. OK, so if it's around applying your capacity to get all the things you need to get done at home so that the family runs well, if it's about 
you know, putting your intellect into certain financial decisions you're making, if it's about knowing how to maneuver situations or advice with your kids when you have to coach them if they're dealing with things in school. I mean, those are all things that we bring as people. We just apply those skills differently. Um, and I think that's okay. Now, I would say also, you know, it's not the same environment. You're not in there trying to direct a team or, you know, tell everybody in the house to go raise their expectations or hit the goal or whatever. You're in there as part of a partnership and you're in there to lever different skills. I mean, my husband and I, for example, we are incredibly uh, complementary, but we have very different um, capabilities and we know it. We laugh about how oh, God, you're really good at that and I'm take care of this. So we don't, you know, it's very um, collaborative, but it's also very cohesive. So, you know, I think that's how it works um, in the office and out of the office. And the only other thing I would say is, boy, when you've been at the office all day and you've been dealing with all the dynamics and the politics and the work, last thing I want to do when I walk in the door is be in charge. <laughs> that's the last thing I want to do. You know, I want to relax and I want to be home and I want to be with those I love. And that's a, that's just a natural transition for me. I'll just note one other thing. When we were doing research for the, for the book, one of the things we noted was that women are actually viewed as having a greater range of style and having more style flexibility and being more tuned in to nuance of situations and, and using that. To, to adapt style. And I was thinking about that in my own life because my, my mom is still alive. She's 92. How I act as a daughter with my mom is different from how I act as a parent to my son is different from how I acted as the president of a business unit. In style ways, it, at the heart of it, my values, you know, my capabilities, those things were all the same. But as far as, you know, my, my, the way that I interacted, I could flex. And apparently that is one of the strengths that women very often have is that ability. And it's good to be aware of that and to note that because you can use that as a superpower. That's right. And you can use that, especially like you're not only in our families and in our interpersonal dynamics, but in a workplace, even bridging languages between other executives. I think women can do that, um, yeah. you know, positively. So in, in, in wrapping this up, I, uh, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, because we there is a lot of talk about quiet quitting, and I think people feel like technology has us distracted, COVID, COVID really kind of isolated, separated, nobody, you know, this idea of like commuting for an hour, people are like, there's no way. Um, and and you, you both in the book talk about, um, maybe it's a, it's a reshuffling of sorts. What, what's your take on, on, on what's happening with this idea of, of, a, of a, a resolve or a quiet quitting that, that they're saying. You know, we, we talked a lot about that, Gabby, just what are the circumstances nowadays and how much of it is something longer term, something more enduring or more fundamental. And I think Grace has already mentioned, we do think that the more fundamental undercurrents of, of work today is people are viewing flexibility with even greater value and flexibility could mean where you work. It could mean how you work. It could mean when you work. That is enabled by technology, which allows people to connect and collaborate, even if they're time shifting or location shifting. That is probably a fundamental. 
that the expectations around flexibility and the ability to do some tailoring, they're going to move back and forth between, you know, are you able to get 100% work from home or are you able to get one day a week work from home? But it's, I think it's going to stick at a level that is more permanent and, and more, uh, you know, just more holistic than what we saw certainly earlier in our careers. I don't know, Grace, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's well said. Um, I think some of those, um, I think, look, I think it, it taught all of us uh, how to think about other dimensions when we had more flexibility. Didn't, we didn't work harder. We, I mean, we didn't work less hard. We worked differently. Um, and so I think some of that is very good learning and will be very forward. Um, I think with that goes, you know, we're hoping people find through this book work that they find passion around and that they feel is something that is strategically for the long haul going to be something they want to strive. In which case, you know, this theory of quiet quitting won't be necessary or applicable. Um, and I think that's the dynamics that's evolving right now. We, you know, quiet quitting, quiet ambition, you might've heard of lazy girl jobs is a hashtag all over TikTok now. Those things I think are, are more short-term because um, it's in response to, to a particular environment. We have low unemployment right now. Um, the pendulum has swung back a bit more toward, you know, employee leverage. That's not a bad thing. We would just argue instead of making a short-term response to it, just to repeat the same mantra we've had throughout this whole conversation, be strategic and say, how can I use this moment in time? Not so much to, I don't know, optimize for a year or two that I work a little less or that I work someplace else or whatever, but how could I actually use that over the long haul to start building myself in the direction I want to go with my career, but maybe in a way that's even more satisfying to me. That's what we would say is just don't take a 12 month or, you know, 18 month view of a trend at work. Look at it and say for yourself, how does that fit into my overall roadmap in a way that maybe could get me someplace better? I think that's such an important point because you stayed in this book. It's like looking for a career, not a job. And those are very, very different things. I, I really appreciate Career Forward. I know it took a lot of work and it's because it's the amount of years that you had to do to get through this to actually be able to look back and write a book like that and and um I, I do want to bring up one last line in the book that was really powerful. You, you talk about women fighting for purpose and not power. And sometimes when we're in a work environment or career environment, we think that that power is the end all be all. And I, I think it's always important, like you've encouraged to keep checking back into yourself about what is it that you want to fight for that's important to you? Because it says it over and over. It's like, typically there's always exceptions. Men are interested in things and objects and women are interested in people. And um, it is about that internal satisfaction. So I, I just wanted to mention that because um, that really, I mean, summed it up that we more often than not will fight for that purpose and not necessarily the power. I, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. That's, because I think for us, the, uh, you know, the, ch the last chapter of the book where we say it's worth it, it's going to be worth it because you feel like you fulfilled your purpose in life. And, that's right. and that's, and by the way, the burden's on you to figure out what that is, by the way, because how are you going to, you know, fulfill it if you didn't know what you were trying to do? So it, it comes back full circle, right? As if you do know your purpose, I think as women in your careers, 
you're more likely to be able to pursue it in a very intentional way. Well, Grace, Christiana, thank you so much uh, for your time. And the book is Career Forward. And we will have everything in the show notes up ahead. And just so people, if they want to find you, because I'm sure, you know, they're they're sort of in depth. There's a lot of information in this book. Uh, we only we only touched uh, the surface a bit. Uh, how, what are the ways that people can find you, Grace? There's a website for, for both of us under Career Forward. Um, and if they... Um... Google that. They will uh, find it and all the links are in there. Yeah. Our URL is careerforwardbook.com and the book itself is available anywhere you would buy books. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Target, um, you name it, you can find it there. Or we have links on careerforwardbook.com. And it is like a workbook. If there's any, if there's something that I forgot that feels really important or an invitation that you want to make to the listener, I just want to open that up before we go. I can't tell you how rewarding it is to talk to somebody who read the book and like remembers it. You know, we just, it's just so gratifying. So thank you for all the thoughtful questions yeah, that you, you asked us. Just a pleasure. Well, I, th I think it's an incredibly useful tool for people and I want them to get to the opportunity to take advantage of it because, you know, we always joke in our house, one thing you can't shortcut or hack is experience. And if you two are offering between the two of you collectively more than 50 or 60 years of experience, why would we not then? Because that's what it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to give that to the younger people and they go, that's great, right. we'll do it better. And we go on and on. So thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. All you have to do is go to gabriellereese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.